Thank you for listening to the Highlander Podcast, where we have conversations about the past, present, and future of the outdoor industry. Thanks to Utah State University's Outdoor Product Design and Development Program for making it possible and for training the future product leaders of the outdoor industry. Learn more about the program at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Outdoor Recreation Archive, a collaboration between OPDD and USU Special Collections to preserve the history and print materials of the people, products, and brands of the outdoor industry. Follow the archive at Outdoor Rec Archive on Instagram. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode of the History of Gear, Will Dunn, Historian and Impact Communications Program Manager at REI, and Sarah Stevens, Apparel Design Lead at the Co-op, speak at the 2023 Outdoor History Summit about the process of building the REI archives and the impact that history and heritage is having on the brand moving forward. Thank you so much for letting us be here. This is crazy exciting. Um, just big, sh- big shout out to you, Chase, and Clint at USU Libraries for creating this space uh, and building this community. I think it's really important. Um, and I apologize, I'm off screen. I'm trying to get my video to share. It doesn't seem to be coming through. I swear I'm smiling. Um, I also want to acknowledge all of the presentations that uh, already already were shared. This was fascinating. There we go. Hi, hi, hi. Hi, everyone. Uh, nice to see you all. Um, but yes, just incredible, fascinating presentations. It is such an honor to be part of this community. Thank you all so, so much for what you do. Um, it's just an honor to be part of this. So um, anyways, my name is Will Dunn. I use he, him pronouns. I've been at the co-op for six years. As Chase mentioned, I manage the Co-op Living Archive, which is REI's new archival endeavor. Um, and we we are down a presenter today. Sadly, we will not be joined by Scott Mosher, our uh, brand creative director, who just brings so much talent, wisdom, and enthusiasm to what we do at REI. Hopefully, we can share again with him soon. So... Uh, I will pass it over for Sarah to introduce herself, and then we'll get into the presentation, but just want to acknowledge Scott and us, too. Hi, everyone. Uh, So excited to be here. I think I've been following the work that uh, Chase and team have been doing, and I was like, I still haven't met met you, so exciting to be on the screen with you here. Um, I'm Sarah Stevens, she, her pronouns. I'm a lead apparel designer for REI, and I lead a team of designers working on fitness, hike, and camp product for co-op brands. And um, coming out of design school, I knew I wanted to work in the outdoor industry and was really lucky to land at REI as my first job out of school. Um, I spent some time away and came back, so I've now been there for over nine years working on product design. Yeah. Uh, and so, just like everyone else, we also are going to leave room for a Q&A at the end. So feel free to start dropping those in the chat as we go through things. Um, we would love to just have this be more engaging and talk with y'all um, about, well, pretty much anything. Okay. I'm going to pull up our presentation here. Okay. Is that coming through? 
Look at that. We're doing great. We're doing great. All right. Let's see. Might progress here. There we go. So um, I want to introduce or reintroduce REI to everyone on this call in case um, some of you are not familiar with it. That is great. Uh, We are here as representatives of Recreational Equipment Cooperative, um, REI. Uh, We were founded in 1938, uh, 85 years ago this year. Uh, So it's been a fun year of celebrating our history uh, and the archive that we're building has played uh, very heavily into that and informed a lot of our storytelling. Um, so 1938 was a big year. You know, we found it in the summer. And by the end of that year, we had reached a staggering $1,361 in sales amassed by 82 co-op members, something we are extremely proud of. Um, and I want to just use that as a way to also talk about like our founding story, because it wasn't necessarily the stereotypical, um, what a lot of people would, would assign as like the stereotypical story of REI. Uh, in 1939, one of our membership benefits was two cents off gasoline because our storefront was a shelf in a gas station. Um, you know, we also sold men's and women's tailored suits uh, that obviously, you know, as you can see here, they didn't even have a brand recognition. They were just suits uh, and you could you could buy a suit. Um, so I just love that. I love that a lot of this was just about meeting a human need. Um, and that's kind of an arc that we're seeing that goes back to our founding story and follows all the way through into current day REI. Um, see. So, you know, the, the we kind of come from humble roots. Uh, Lloyd and Mary Anderson both came from rural Washington. Neither really had a lot of money. They, they met each other, moved to uh, Seattle. They bought some land uh, in West Seattle. It's this little peninsula that kind of looks back at, at downtown Seattle. Beautiful place. There was really no houses over there at the time. And Lloyd built this house by by hand. Um, and cool fact about this place is it uh, it maintained as our distribution center through 1959. Um, so that it got us through a lot of years. And it uh, also serviced our mail order through 1953. Um, in, in college, Lloyd was in the ROTC program and he wore his suit every day because it was his nicest set of clothes. Um, so th- those are, that's just kind of where we're coming from and, and kind of, I think, helps illuminate where we're going next. Um, and here's a picture of that gas station that I mes- uh, mentioned. Um, just a, a beautiful, beautiful storefront we had there. We were there for many years. Um, fast forward to our impact report from last year. Our sales have grown. We have a few more members. Um, but we've also taken this idea of acting cooperatively to um, another level, and we're we're doing a lot of really cool impact work. Um, so just a couple of highlights there, like outside in five, where we're investing in getting 100, 100 million people outside in five minutes or less through con- congressional advocacy, investing in parks, passing bills, um, all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, and then, you know, in, in recognition of the statistic that 1% of outdoor entrepreneurs are founders of color, um, you know, that's a, that's a low that's a low number that none of us in the outdoor community should be proud of. Um, so we launched Path Ahead Ventures, which is investing um, strictly in BIPOC community members or entrepreneurs that um, are starting up their own businesses. Um, and both of those have websites. There's really cool stuff to dig into there. But this is all derivative of the same intentional roots that we were born from. Um, that was just, it was never really fully just about like selling gear. Um, it was it was about acting cooperatively. So, um, I want to take a minute now to debunk this false narrative that we have that history is linear and looking backwards. I think that is a lie. Um, it actually looks a lot more like this if you trace it exactly, um, which is what we did. That's how we got to this beautiful illustration here. 
Um, but history meanders. Um, and most of most of our history is documenting choice, which brings about progress. It can be cyclical, it can sometimes walk backwards, but it always leads to the present and the always and the present is always positioning tomorrow. And history is really just a person that did a thing. And that's something that we like to use the archive to um, remind REI's employees about. You know, we're, we're currently writing the next chapter of our history. We need to be embarking on this together. So why a co-op? I want to digest that just a little bit uh, within our meandering story. Um, this book was published by John Daniels. It's called Cooperation in American Way. It was published around the same time that we were founded. And the theory goes that Lloyd, Lloyd and Mary may have been reading it around the time that they were uh, going through the conceptual phases of what REI should be. Um, and in it, John Daniels describes a co uh, cooperative as just something really basic. It's not complicated at all. It's just people working together for the benefit of all. And I love that. It's not about all of these structures that we've built up around it. It's, it's literally just integrity. And we're, we're going to work together to make this a better place for everyone. Um, and as I mentioned, through our research in the archive, we're rediscovering ourselves and looking back at our founding story. Um, and if, if you're familiar with, with what that is, you don't have to be. Um, the, the story uh, that we often tell is that it all started with an ice axe and 23 friends that wanted to go climbing together, which is true. That did, in fact, happen. Um, but there's a lot more nuance to it than that. It wasn't just a crappy customer experience where we wanted to buy a better, uh, a better ice axe from overseas. It was um, um, derivative of, of some of the really important factors that were in play at the time. Uh, Alpenstocks were the big tool at the time in the 19, well, early part of the uh, 1900s. This was your mountain, mountaineering tool. This is what you would use to arrest as you're glissading, uh, which is basically just a long broom handle with a pointy end. Um, but around the time that the co-op was founding, these were on their way out and ice axes were on their way in. But you'll notice when you move from a broom handle to an ice axe, you get a few more pointy ends, and that requires some more education on how to use it appropriately and safely, um, which is a big part of being outside, right? Like we, being outside has it carries some responsibility, and being a retailer um, is, you know, I think that's a space that we we want to be active in. So. Um, Lloyd and Mary and the other folks that helped found the co-op, um, they all got together and they, they started hosting uh, educational classes in the city, in downtown Seattle, instead of up in the mountains. So you know, people, it turns out, live mostly in cities. Um, and getting up to the mountains was pretty hard at the time. There was one way to get up there. It was expensive. Not everyone had that kind of access. Um, you know, and this is going to be a shocker. The internet was not big in the 1930s. So information was not as democratized as it is now. They started publishing or handing out uh, pamphlets like these to a glacial boulder in North Seattle, where they would host classes, translate German texts, and um, just give general instructions on the, the new, new climbing techniques and how you would be able to do these things responsibly. Um, and it was really disruptive at the time. It, uh, it honestly kind of... Um, Kind of made some people mad. It broke their business models. Um, so we we lost a few friends through doing this, but we felt like it was the right thing to do. So kind of always been about this uh, general idea of uh, breaking the status quo. That's usually our most enduring stories or human tales or when we've been a little bit on the side of counterculture. Uh, and one of our earliest examples that actually predates the co-op, uh, but was by the same people that founded it, um, we're just hosting classes in the city built for people to um, learn as much as they could. Um, I'm going to skip over a lot of history here and get up to the 1970s when we founded our first 
uh, product testing lab. We lovingly refer it to uh, we lovingly refer to it as the Cal Magnuson Lab. Um, who is a Boeing engineer that we hired to do all of this testing that didn't really exist at the time. You know, if, uh, you recall stories at least for me. It'd be stories for my parents um, hearing about the '70s when no one would wear seatbelts. You know, and it was okay to drink and drive. Um, it was a very different time. Product safety standards did not really exist. No one was testing the products um, for what they could be doing. Um, and that was something that REI began to take very seriously. Pictured here is how we began testing the wind resistance of tents. Um, we made this really fancy contraption called a wooden platform, put it on top of a truck, and we'd race it down a highway, usually up near Mount Rainier. Um, it was also fairly common for us to have an engineer inside of the tent to talk about their experience and be like, you know, around 45, it was getting pretty dicey. That thing was kissing my forehead and I felt unsafe. Um, I also want to make the caveat, we take human safety very seriously, which is why we test. But um, I, I believe they were also stripped down inside the tent. So, you know, we we, we take safety very seriously here at REI. Um, but we would, you know we would share all of the results. So we, we would run these tests and we'd publish with full transparency how tents held up, whether they were guyed out, whether the uh, rain fly was open, all of these various aspects. And then we started doing that for all of the products that we sold. So pictured here on, on the left side is Cal Magnuson. Uh, and on the right are snippets of our viewpoint, which was a publication inside of our catalogs for all members to see. And it was detailing how we were testing the load of uh, ISAC sandals. This hadn't really been done before, but we wanted to make sure that if you were going to use that thing to arrest while you were sliding down a glacier, you knew it wouldn't break and it would keep you safe. Um, and we would test 100% of all the ice axes that we sold before setting them out, um, just, just so we knew that we were keeping our members safe. It was kind of our member sustainability promise. Um, and on the right, you can see where we were also publishing the results of those tests. So we, we would show like how we were testing them, what results we were finding. And really what that did was it also leveled the playing field because we're a retailer. We're not just selling our products, we're selling everyone's products. And if you want to defend at REI, we want you to know how we're going to test your products so we, you know, they can hold up against everyone else's. And that shouldn't be a surprise when you send your products in to us. You should know that well beforehand so you can test and be prepared too. Um, and th that's still a practice that we very much do today. It's very simple. We just test, learn, share, repeat as a co-op. It's kind of a basic model that we need to follow, but it's all about sharing. If we grow this community together, we're going to be doing really, really well. And that brings me to the Co-op Living Archive, which uh, we spent a lot of time. We, you know, we found a closet in 2019. It was locked full of our, our whole history. And we just thought that was so fascinating. And then the world stopped in 2020. And that was a nice pause for us to be able to reflect on what mattered. And all of it is our story, right? Like we have been around for um, 80 plus years with crazy stories like the tent test truck. Um, but we also acknowledge that those stories are happening still today. And we didn't want to be something like the Co-op Historical Society or something like that. We really wanted this to be about the past and how it celebrates uh, the present and informs our future. So the, the ARIA's archive is the Co-op Living Archive. Here's a picture of that locked closet. It is just lovely. There was uh, really no documentation of anything that was inside of the closet. It had been pilfered for many various things over the years um, by the lucky individuals that were able to track down the only key to the closet that was all the way across campus. Not sure how they did that, but it was um, pretty impressive. So, you know, in 2019, we pitched this as a side hustle, got the project approved. We worked really, really fast all the way up until 2020. 
Um, you know, and then in, in February, we, we kind of had to hit pause. We put everything in boxes and a lot of it we still haven't seen uh, or we haven't seen again since. Um, we moved into a workshop space south of downtown in Seattle, and that space grew and grew. Some of you have had, um, we've had the pleasure of seeing you in our archive. Would love to see you again. And this is open. Just It's an open invitation for anyone in this community. Um, feel free to reach out anytime. We are the uh, co-op living archive at rei.com. Please email us. We would love to hear from you. We would love to collaborate and support whatever cool work that you do. Um, so this is the most recent iteration of what the archive looked like. We're moving into a new space um, late, late this year, which we're very excited about. It might even look like an archive. You'll see it in this photo, we have shelves. And that was something that took us two or three years to get. Uh, we, we have a contract archivist, Carrie Keel, who's just this incredible human being. And the day that we had those shelves installed, she got a little misty because before then, these were just a pile of boxes on the floor. That's not great for the um, longevity of the artifacts. We weren't being great stewards of, of what we had. Um, and it, it felt like big progress to put everything on shelves, develop a collections management system and all of these things. Um, and we're getting ready to figure out how we can share it more broadly with the community. Um, I want to pause there for a minute and talk about this map. Um, there's a paradox that by zooming in or by zooming out, your world gets bigger. And that's something that I like to think about a lot, whether we zoom in all the way on a specific member story and how that illuminates that general idea of why a co-op, or if we can zoom all the way out and look at our sustainability work and how that um, really illustrates that, that member experience. I just, I love thinking about those things. I love how we inform each other. And I love how through building an archive, we can start to gain that kind of self-awareness. So like as, as REI co-op, we can actually have some self-awareness and understand who we are by zooming all the way out and seeing who we've been since 1938 and even before, like what, what, what's fun is going to be in, um, and then use that to position us in who we're going to be tomorrow. We can design a better future by understanding our past. Um, it's just, it's paramount. Uh, and we also use that as a way to just get people curious. You know, you can, you can find people at their level. And if there's something that you can zoom in from there and, and hopefully sow some curiosity and make a real connection with someone, um, that's that's a, a big privilege of uh, the kind of access to information that you can have through an archive. So we've been going through the boxes that you see you saw on the shelves. We're finding really funny stuff and some really powerful stuff. Um, one of my absolute favorites are the Rolka grass skis with this Will Ferrell lookalike from 1979. And this is how you would do ski training in the summer where you would just like ski down a grassy knoll with all of your pride intact. And it's pretty cool. Um, you know, we would also do mail order boot fitting, which is hilarious that it wasn't just like telling you how to measure your foot. We would actually have members trace their foot and mail it to someone at headquarters who would then reply by mail to say, you're a nine and a half wide. That's pretty cool. Um, I love knowing that that's a part of our past. It makes me feel like a cool human. Um, but then we're also finding really powerful things like, uh, you know, just transparency in our employee diversity reporting going back to 1973 and just acknowledging that we needed to do better then. Um, you know, and then at the bottom of that page, we have this beautiful, almost poetry. Uh, this is the only place I've seen this language. It's a footer on the page right next to the page number. And it says, a society that irretrievably consumes its resources cannot endure. And I, I just love that. And um, it's language that I'd love to bring back because, again, history is cyclical. Uh, as we're going through and finding these things and gaining um, new access to historical assets, we're building libraries. 
this is a really cool K2 Summit hat that we uh, we made, you know, kind of puffy hat specifically for high alpine expeditions. This is for K2 in the 70s, and it's just gorgeous. And we're using this to help inform the work of people like Scott and Sarah um, as they're designing our future. And we've also done the same with our catalogs. We just wrapped up about a year and a half long project of going back and uh, digitizing all of our catalogs back to 1938. It was a massive endeavor. Um, but then that's a resource that, you know, I've, I've seen some screenshots from other, from some REI catalogs and some of the other presentations today. And I love that that's a resource that we can now offer again to the community. So we are here to field your research requests. Please reach out to us. Um, it's it's just a, a treasure of, of information, especially being a retailer. We have we have a lot of stories uh, within our community to share. So this is the part where Scott was going to do his magic, and I'm going to muddle through half, and you're going to have to pretend like I'm as cool as Scott, uh, and then I'll pass it off to Sarah, who will take the second half, which I'm sure will be more enthralling. Um, but if Scott were here. He would say we've had a fun and quirky history of co-creating life outside. Beyond the actual product itself, the archive helps us remember not to take ourselves too seriously. The humanness of the co-op is something we try to bring to life in everything that we do. Here's a, a logo timeline going back to, uh, well, as far as we can. You know, if you look early on, we had uh, some very beautiful typesetting that acted as our logo for many, many years. We got to our first illustrated logo in 1958 by Tolly Kojev. He was our first illustrator and just co-worker of Floyd Anderson. They they worked at Seattle City and Light together as engineers. And it turned out Tolly was an incredible artist. He illustrated all of our early catalogs and also this first um, logo iteration. But what was born there was this beautiful motif of mountains and trees and we never really got away from having at least two mountains and a tree um but you can see through all of these that we just we love our story uh and and that it's never something that we're going to drive too far from which uh brings us to the half dome tent it's just, uh, kind of an iconic backpacking tent. It's something that REI has been making since 1980. It's been influenced by many humans of the co-op over the years. Uh, and each iteration has had to be better than the last. Um, and, you know, through the archive, we're able to track that progress and actually show where we've made certain adjustments or what design decisions we made. Um, and that it just, it makes it feel really human at that level, right? When you can begin to track decision-making and, and see how individual people made their stamp on this product, it gets really fascinating. Um, but a lot of this was made in conjunction with the product testing that was happening within the Magnuson lab, um, testing and learning and, and growing what we were doing. And we love this story so much that we're going to give you a little sneak peek to some product coming out next spring, where we're actually printing the tent test truck on some of our products. We're very excited about this. It's just a fun story. Uh, and we're excited to share that with more people. And here's another example of when we've just found something fun and maybe a little awkward from our past that we felt like needed second life. These gorgeous illustrated uh, t-shirts from our past that uh, we just, we felt like, again, ne needed new life. They should be back out there. So we reproduced them, sent them back into the world um, and are doing that with other things. We found some of our gorgeous old ice axes had this unique, stamped logo in the ice axe head and we, we just thought that was the coolest thing we've never seen this anywhere else it was only on the ice axe head stamped into the metal um so we're putting that back to work as well and that's going to be coming out again in product uh for spring next year 
and this hat has uh, a fun story. This is a trucker hat. And um, Scott found a photo of it in uh, one of our catalogs and someone sh shared it with the team and someone said, oh, yeah, I think that's Tim Benson. He used to be a warehouse manager. And Scott was able to look him up and asked him if we could name the reproduced hat after him. <laughs> so here is the Tim Benson trucker hat. Um, and here's an, another example of just a, a really cool hat that we found in the archive, felt like it needed to come out again. So this is going to be coming out in spring of next year as well. Um, but we just, again, we love being able to go go through our past and relive in these moments, live in a little bit of nostalgia, but also use that as an arc of growth uh, and help us position where we're going to be tomorrow. And with that, Sarah. Okay, so I'll continue to share a few more examples of apparel items that were inspired by the archive. Uh, this image is of Lloyd Anderson, one of our co-founders, along with Mary, and they were super into getting out in the area, um, traveling around the world, doing mountaineering trips. So I think, I believe this photo is actually in Europe, and we loved this plaid shirt that he had on. So a few years back in one of our flannel programs, we brought a very similar colorway and pattern to life in our new flannel product and we know that ultimately you know that story might not reach our consumer when they're purchasing it but we still like to think that they can kind of feel that connection to the past of where we pulled this from and then um, another way that we've been inspired by our archive does go back to the ice sacks as being that first product that we sold. Um, we've got it on all of the entry points to our store and it's kind of the way that you first engage with the brand. And so we wanted to think about other ways that we could bring the ice sacks into our product design and decided to do it in a very intentional matter and bringing it in in those interactive points on the garment. So you'll see we have this little ice X um, secondary mark right on that zipper bowl where you're interacting to get your jacket on and off. You also might find it on some snaps, for example, on our outerwear as well. And then next up, I share a story. We have a, a few products when we've looked back through the catalogs that really lasted longer um, in our catalogs and felt like they were something that felt iconic to the brand that we wanted to reproduce and bring back um, in a way that maintained as much of the original aesthetic and build as we could with the only opportunity that we looked at it changing would be how we could perhaps make it um, more sustainable through material changes. So this was one that we identified. It was this classic mountaineering parka that we initially made in 1972. And so next slide you'll see, we found in a thrift store, one of these parkas and loved that it really showed the, the user's story on it. We don't know who owned it, but loved that they had this little kind of creepy clown patch on it that the red like matched the jacket. Um, the original zipper pull had fallen off and so they had self-repaired it with this paracord that they knotted um, and it had those original labels on it. and. So actually, we did end up bringing back the jacket in its entirety of originality, but we were really inspired by the self-repair zipper cord. We ended up putting that across the collection um, in multiple products, and it kind of shows how we can continue to be inspired by our users and what they've done and their hacks um, with our products to build our new products. 
And the next slide you'll see, we wanted to make sure that we were doing, again, uh, what we call a stitch for stitch uh, replication of this garment, including this label. And so we ended up sending our label manufacturer this exact label, and they got back to us and said, you know, actually we think with this texture and the stitching, we, we made this on kind of a vintage machine, which we, we no longer use, but we've got it and we'll pull it out in order to fully replicate this in the exact same manner as the original. And so we did that for this project and put it out on the new jackets, which you'll see here when we launched this online, it was really cool to see how well it resonated with users out there. Um, people started kind of writing reviews of their original jacket online or referencing an original jacket that they had and were so thrilled that we had brought this back so they could get a new one. And actually kind of similar timing, and I don't think it was related to us re-releasing this, but on the next slide, um, You'll see, oh, sorry, I, I skipped ahead. So when we did release this, um, one of our sustainability managers uh, working at REI found, came across this photo of his dad wearing that exact same parka in the blue colorway. This was the other colorway we released. And again, it just kind of brought out the stories of connection of people who had really loved this piece and his dad still has it. And I think he's scheming on how to get it from him. <laughs> and um, on the next slide then, you'll see, so this was kind of similar timing that came up. Um, we had this woman, Lisa, who ended up having a version of this jacket that she got in the eighth grade and she kept it. And she wrote a letter to our board of directors about how much she loved it. And it was during COVID and it kind of gave her this sense of comfort to get through um, the deep throes of the pandemic. And um, as it turned out, the zipper had only broken a few years prior and she was now using it kind of like as a comfort snuggy blanket. And we learned that she just lived uh, some a few hours up north. And so we've got uh, someone to go up and actually retrieve this jacket from her. And you can see it was really cool. Uh, next slide to see what it looked like and how well it had really held up through the years. You could see the zipper repair again needed um, some mending to be done. And I think she had actually self-mended a, a little bit of the a little tear on the right. And this had a, a slight different version of our label. And so we ended up bringing this in to our in-house prototyper you see here, um, he is repairing the zipper and, you know, really getting it all ready for reuse. And we sent it back to her. And you can see she sent us on the next slide, this fun photo of her wearing her jacket. And she just was so thrilled to be back in that parka. Um, so again, it was just really fun what bringing this product back kind of opened up in terms of just more opportunity for us to interact with um, more of our community and the, the joy that it really brought to many people. <laughs> So on the next slide, I'm going to kind of shift a bit from what Will and I have talked about. We've talked a lot about products that we brought back that were very literal translations of the original products. And that's kind of one way that we've used the archive. And I want to share a little bit more about um, some, some more products that we've taken inspiration from the archive, but then the end result is very different. You probably didn't even know that it was inspired by something old. Um, and this is an image of 
essentially all the inputs that we think about when we're starting to build a new product at REI. So I'll walk you through them and then kind of call out where we see the archive fitting into this. So on the left, we always start with our product insights. And at REI, we've developed a process we call cooperative design, which is we bring in our members and future members into our design process. And we essentially just invite them to share their stories about how they're spending time outside. This can be a survey, it can be um, observational or interview style one-on-one -on -one, where we kind of start to unpack the barriers they're facing um, and what problems we could really solve for them and make sure that we're solving the right problems so that these products are going to really be meaningful to our users. So we have all of those insights um, and then we start overlaying these other elements into our ideation process. So the next one would be trend. We have our annual creative direction, which pulls down um, essentially macro trends that are affecting every industry as well as outdoor industry trends. And we pull forward the ones that we think are gonna be important for us to integrate into our product in the, the coming year. And then we also have trends related to um, just more seasonal work in regard to silhouette, color, and materials. And then the last element that we're looking at is our design language. So this is the language of our products that make them look and feel um, uniquely REI. And so this is where we see the archive as a critical input because everything that we've built is authentically something of our past that is, again, unique to REI. So we've at uh, some points taken, for example, just a product detail that we found in the archive and put it across our product line, for example, like a pocket shape. We've been inspired by um, silhouette or different types of products that we wanted to bring forward um, as a starting place from our archive. And then we pair that with our kind of always on brand ethos, which for REI is to continue to build more sustainable and more inclusive product to get more people outside and product that's really gonna last so you can pass it on um, to a friend uh, through generations and it has you know, the biggest impact it can uh, for the most amount of users. So when we get into the next slide and kind of kind of dive in to, uh, you can go, yeah a case study of how we use this process on a specific product line. I'm going to open it up with one of the ways we've been, been inspired by the archive is our old catalog imagery and those illustrations, um, which it's just these really simple line illustrations that Anorak was one of the first products we made, one of the original illustrations. And our product team loved that this makes our language and how we communicate our designs as, as an inspiration for something that's really simple, really easy to understand and very approachable. And so when we're in our ideation phase, um, most of the team does use Procreate for quick, quick sketching. And we developed kind of a sketching style for the full team to use based off of these original illustrations that ties us back to that past and that craft. And it makes all of our presentations uh, very cohesive. It makes us able to jump in and work on each other's work really easily and collaborate better. So that's kind of just one way that the archive really inspired our entire working process as a team. The next slide, You'll see this, I'm gonna dive into the case study. So I'm gonna share specifically in spring 22 when we relaunched our run product. 
And so when we look to the archive, this was prior to uh, Will's great work on getting our archive actually searchable by keyword. And at the time, we really just had a bunch of uploads of PDF scans of all our product catalogs. And you had to kind of hunt and peck through to find anything you wanted to, to look at. So we decided to map out a timeline of all of our active product, our fitness product for REI and thought that would be um, this is something we'd kind of been working on for a few seasons, just to have that history mapped out to better understand the context of our products. We started with fitness. We felt it was a little easier to per, of an undertaking than trying to do this with our hike product, which we have way more of, and it's been in the line for much longer since this, again, yeah, only started in 1975. And what was really interesting, you can see on the next slide, that um, through the eras, the product looked really different. So from 1985 to 1993 to 2005, it really shifted with the aesthetic of the time. And we took that you know, really as a, a meaning that we were shifting with our members and our consumer base to address their different needs of those times. And it gives us a very um, wide range of inspiration to pull from. So when we started to look at how to redesign this run product in order to understand where might make sense to pull from, we wanted to go back to looking at those insights to really ground us. So you can see on the next page, um, this is just kind of a, a quick overview of our run insights. In this case, we ended up doing a survey with 30 uh, folks and essentially it was a mix of qualitative and quantitative questions. And what trickled to the top for, for all of these people that like to run was that temperature regulation was their number one concern. They started running and a huge concern over overheating, um, particularly for a spring summer season. So we took that as kind of our overarching takeaway that we knew we needed to address. And then on the right side, you'll see, we kind of further broke down those different priorities based on the different pieces that we were wanting to build into, making sure that they worked as a system and they were kind of each working in their own way to then build the whole for the user. So uh, I'll just call out, for example, on the next to skin pieces, we landed that they needed to address um, temperature regulation. Do you mind just... <laughs> hopping back, um, as well as chafe. And then on the bottoms, for example, much more complex, they needed to address temperature regulation, they needed to address storage. We had some people that wanted to carry nothing, whereas others really wanted to feel prepared, carrying quite a few things. Um, this element of support and supporting the muscle groups, uh, your legs, freedom of movement, as well as addressing chafe. So. Next slide, you'll see the short design. When we looked back through the archives, we ended up being really inspired by these shorts that we built in 1980. They're kind of a classic track short. They're a full mesh short. And so I think that full mesh, it was a knit mesh, was really inspiring place to start because uh, we knew that temperature regulation was something we wanted to address and build a lot of ventilation and breathability into these pieces. And so we ended up taking kind of a new approach to that by bringing in a four-way stretch woven material that did have the mesh structure, but the woven made it more durable, lighter weight, and quicker drying than any of our knit material options. 
Um, you'll see it also has this kind of grid structure that we love that that harkened back to a ripstop, which is one of those iconic, durable outdoor textures. So we use that to build in for the full fabrication of the majority of the short. Um, and then we also just love the simplicity of that um, archive short and so wanted to maintain that these just looked really simple and the old shorts didn't have any pocketing at all so you'll see um, before we even requested a prototype we often work through requesting a lot of mock-ups to make sure we're getting all the details right and dialed so on the bottom in the middle there are a couple examples of the mock-ups of the pocketing that we wanted to explore and we landed on that top option where the pocket edge doesn't have any exposed elastic it's right flush with the waistband so that you barely kind of see it but you can use it if you need it and uh, above that you'll see that little goo bar stuffed into that pocket and we've got the secure back zipper pocket we did end up pulling in that flecked Cording. We've got flecked cording across all of our hike product. Again, kind of one of those details that we saw a lot in um, our archive in our past and loved to pull that across into the run line. And then we ended up launching the short in two inseams with two different liner styles based off of the user feedback, as well as what we were seeing in our trend research. And you can see the short on uh, the guy on the right there, the final product. Um, so then next slide, we essentially from there just went into how else might we build this collection out and utilize this material in more silhouettes. So this was the next season. Um, we saw that we had made some singlets in the past out of the same mesh as the shorts, so wanted to do so with this material. And we brought back this running singlet. Uh, we loved that our version in the past kind of had that wider uh, strap width, which worked really well for modern hydration vests, making sure that you're getting good coverage there. We ended up not doing this uh, center stripe version just to keep it a little more simple and eliminating seams to not add extra chafe points. We did angle our side seams forward to reduce um, chafe on, at the underarm. And then this is a, a sketch of the women's style, which we added side vents to the hem to make sure that it would accommodate better different hip to waist ratios and we did bring it in a slightly cropped length because uh, what we're seeing in the trend of the silhouettes and the bottoms was still continuously a higher rise so that kind of then adjusting the length uh, based off of where our rise heights were landing in the bottoms. And then lastly, I'll share, we launched, we are actually, this is not coming out in spring 24, our outerwear piece. We had done the research on the outerwear piece and didn't quite end up getting into ideating on it until a few seasons out. And we knew the priorities for the outerwear were number one around adding this element of weather protection and then two, packability, because this was really that just in case layer that someone might not actually need to use so that we, they wanted it to be as light and as packable as possible. And then also, of course, temperature regulation. We initially were thinking that we were gonna design into two different jackets, a men's and a women's full zip style jacket. And then when we looked to our archives, we found in our fitness line that we had multiple examples of a fitness anorak. And we really liked that the anorak was an iconic style that had been in our line for a really long time. And um, it also solved some of those 
those um, issues around how to make this product lighter weight and more packable by eliminating that full center front closure. So the, the previous styles in the archive also were a unisex fit. So we kind of re-envisioned this as a unisex fit in Iraq. We did a really lightweight snap placket construction. Uh, we added in that ventilated grid woven paneling at the underarm for more breathability as well as the full back body. And you can see us fitting a hydration vest on our fit model on the right, just to make sure all that seaming and paneling placement worked well. We have a full hem draw cord at the hem, as well as a partial draw cord at the mid back body um, so that you could cinch it in at the waist, depending on your body shape and kind of eliminate excess fabric. And then lastly, of course, the packable feature, we just built in a little small kind of kangaroo packet pocket that you can pack it into and take with you. And then lastly, I'm going to end on this slide, which is that, you know, as Will shared, we, we like just made our product catalog searchable. And I think there's just so much that we can still draw from um, in terms of our past to kind of reinterpret to build our future. And so this is one of the categories that we used to do. There's entire categories that we don't make anymore that we can pull from. So one that the team's really uh, consistently feeling inspired by is our old paddleware. And so you'll see here is just kind of a quick illustration of what it could look like if we reinterpreted some of our paddleware into more of a swimwear or water sport activity for our customer today. And um, yeah, I'll just end there that we feel so thankful that that um, they're truly just like endless ways to use the archive and this imagery. And um, yeah, that is it. Perfect. Does anyone have any questions? There might have been some throughout the chat. Um, just a lot of enthusiasm around everything you you all are doing, and you're doing such incredible work. Um, let me. I'm just going to look back through the chat. If there's questions, feel free to drop them in here now, um, and we can address those. I saw one from Nathan uh, asking if the story about the early flood in the in the warehouse was true as the origin of the first REI garage sale. Yes, that is true. It was for the World's Fair in Seattle. Um, you know, everyone wanted to put on a big show. So the city officials decided that all of our city fountains needed to be uh, just razzle and dazzle, everyone that flew in for this, and uh, overworked the water main, which burst the pipes and it flooded our basement and ruined all of our inventory. We were out of business that night. Um, it, Lloyd Anderson and Jim Whitaker got calls, I think at like 2 a.m. from the fire brigade saying, hey, you need to get down here. And they got down, so got up, went down there, started pulling everything out of the basement, trying it out. Um, and, and, you know, contacted their insurance company, made a, a very detailed claim because that was Lloyd. He, he tracked every single penny. You should see his notes. They're just incredible. Um, so we, we got a great payout from the insurance company. And you know, as we got damaged goods back, we, we contacted the, the insurance company again to say, hey, yeah, well, what would you like to have happen with these? And they wanted nothing to do with it. So we sold it at, at like the lowest possible price back to the members. Um, and that was our first garage sale. 
I'm impressed. Where did you hear that? That's great. Reddit. Oh, Reddit. <laughs> of course, it was, of course, it was Reddit. I'm, I'm curious if you have any, like, I know you all, like, this whole project is relatively new, 2019, but you've had materials for a long time. Um, I know when we initially connected, there was this idea of, of REI having a historic preservation committee, right? And other companies, it's, you know, like with Yoji, it's it's one person building this. <laughs> and other brands have a, a formal archivist that's hired to, to do the work. Um like how, what, what was the evolution of, of kind of the, the people involved in this process? And, and did you face any resistance trying to build something like this? I'm curious, kind of the behind the scenes of building the archive. You touched on it in your presentation, but I would love to hear more. Sure. Yeah. Uh, we, we pitched the idea in 2019 and we got a knee slap and a heck yeah, we should do this. Um, so we started marching forward. But the program remained a side hustle project uh, for me and a few other folks up until March of last year. So it's it's really not been an official program for very long. Um, this is this is still very much new. So we're you know we're we're growing our resources as quickly as we can. Right now, it's largely an internal resource. We're kind of working as a little like internal REI library, which I love. Um, I've always dreamed of being a school librarian, and this is probably the closest I'll ever be. So uh, loving, loving that part of it. Um, but, you know, as, as you mentioned, Chase, we, we're, we get to be part of the fellowship this year and we've uh, hosted some of the fellows before. And I, I, being part of this community is truly just such an honor. And it, when we meet like this, it almost feels like a call to action where, you know, we're, we're, there's so much overlap between everyone that shared today. Um, we all have a very similar story. And I love that. And we're, we're just stewarding these, these human stories and they, they all, they're interwoven. They all inform each other and you can't really talk about one without the other. And so I'm just excited to see this community grow. And uh, I, I want REI to be active um, in, in building that and being part of it. So again, it's livingarchive at rei.com. Uh, feel free, like we, we just, we want to be involved. If, you, if there are brands that are kind of starting this journey, trying to figure out how to set up an archive, I know we featured some of them in the past. Is that something that they can reach out about and ask, like, how do we how do we do this? How do we sell this internally? Like, where do we start? Is is that appropriate? Yeah. Oh my gosh, absolutely. I mean, you, my my perspective is probably wrong, but I you know I think our story is everything, and we don't exist without our story. So sell your story. That's that's the best part of who you are. Um, everything else is a product, but the cool product has a story behind it. Um, but yeah, would happily be be part of that journey for anyone. Um, and I'm not also going to promise that we have all the right answers, but we will at least make them up. I did notice Katie's, uh, mention of the Ben, the Tim Benson hat and how cool it would have been if he modeled it. And I fully agree. Um, last, within the last couple of weeks, we got to know Gary Benson. He was our staff photographer in the late seventies and early eighties and did my favorite campaign featuring old man jack and uh, on the cover of that catalog you'll see old man jack down on the cover it's an all-white cover and then he's like peeling back the snow and underneath is some green grass and one lonely or uh just flourishing flower whichever way you want to look at it half full half empty um but i just i love it and so we, we're, we've been talking about how fun it would be to do a new photo shoot with gary and have him be featured on whatever that campaign is 
um, but have it have it be like a total retrospective of, of the Gary Benson days. Um, so yeah, fully agree. Love that call out. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. For more conversations with outdoor leaders, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, watch episodes on the Outdoor Product Design and Development YouTube channel, or on opdd.usu.edu slash podcast. Follow along on Instagram at USU Outdoor Product and let us know how you're enjoying the show.